up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Roots, Rednecks, and Radicals podcast. Today, we're going to learn something new and interesting in the world of Americana, Roots, and folk music. But before we get to that, I just want to say a quick reminder to like, follow, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And if you're on social media, give me a follow if you haven't already. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Just search up the name of the show and you'll find me there. All right, let's get to today's episode. Today, I'm bringing you another best of episode. I am uh, taking a little break over the summer, doing some traveling, seeing some friends, going to Japan, hanging out with my son, and uh, just enjoying life a little bit. So I wanted to to bring you some episodes from the past of the show where I had great conversations with uh, super interesting artists. And today is no exception. I talked to Charlie Crockett a couple years ago. And I I tell you, watching Charlie rise through the ranks and, and, and become become more and more successful is just such a cool thing because he's an incredible artist great songwriter a hard worker and he's just out there just doing his thing and killing it so here is my conversation with singer-songwriter charlie crockett hope you dig it Have arrived. This is Will Hauk with KNBC, and I'm talking with singer-songwriter Charlie Crockett. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, pleasure belongs to me, brother Will. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, uh, I've listened to a couple of interviews where you talk about getting your start in music by busking or playing music on the street for people. Uh, I have so much respect for that. Yes, and I, w- I-, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about... Um, uh, how you got started playing music and that whole process? Oh, yeah. Well, um, uh, my mama got me a guitar out of a pawn shop in uh, Irving, Texas, which is between Dallas and Fort Worth when I was 17. And uh, I wasn't any good, but uh, I spent all my time banging away at that thing after that. Um, times got hard. I hit the street turned into a wandering boy uh never did put the guitar down and somewhere along the way i turned out to be good enough at it that i started being able to you know make a dime make a dollar out of a dime and uh rambled across this country hitchhiking riding freight uh squatting working street corners and working subway platforms subway cars uh, lots of itinerant, informal gatherings, stuff like that. Hitchhiking all around America and overseas and stuff. From there, I started getting, you know, leading more and more street bands and traveling seasonally to where it made sense. I play for folks. From there, I started transitioning into uh, blues clubs, like at blues jams and open mics and. uh and I started playing and fronting, you know, electrified bands, you know, at, at bars and honky tonks and clubs, kind of mixing that in with street stuff when I could get in here or there. And then at some point, you know, then I started recording myself after a number of years. I started, always had recorded myself just really, you know, kind of throw away recordings off of microphones on people's, you know, laptops or 
uh, cheap phones and throwing those things on burnt CDs and selling them on the street. But then eventually I recorded an album back in 2014 called A Stolen Jewel that I uh, put out on one of like a CD baby and then uh, printed up about 5,000 copies from some help that I got from my friends out on some farms in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, went back, back down to Texas after having been gone for a few years. Started uh, handing them out on the street in any kind of club I could sit in at or anything in Austin and Central Texas, Fort Worth, Dallas area, Deep Ellum, all that type of stuff. And uh, word got to, you know, some agents in Nashville. And then I got picked up by uh, John Folk at Red 11, got me out there on the national and international touring circuit uh, for my own label son of Davey partnered up with 30 Tigers and uh I've been on that circuit for the last three four years uh and I'll be dropping my eighth album my eighth studio album uh on July 31st man that's quite the story I was going to bring up the the, the number well, of- I've, you know I've told it three I've, I've told it about 5,000 times I can actually condense it into about three minutes now how about that <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> You've recorded a lot of music over the last few years. It's really impressive how many albums you have out there. Hey, thanks, Will. Um, you know, it's. I have to say this, I'm being really honest. I think it's not as much as that I've been impressive. I think it's that the business, the music business has been unimpressive in the way that it slows down, it slows down productivity of artists. Um, and the reason I say that is, is, in the classic days, whether you would have been signed as a pop artist, classic country, blues, soul, R&B artist, anything like that, to any kind of major label in the 50s, 60s, you know, you would have been churning out at least two studio albums a year and uh, maybe up to four, you know, doing a, uh, doing like a duet thing or a seasonal record or a live album or any of that type of stuff. You know, typically they were contractually obligated to two to four records a year. So, and I'm just trying to keep up with them, uh, which is the way that that I've done it. Plus, I record my albums, you know, they're almost entirely live. Um, now, a lot of folks, a lot of guys and gals will come through and told you to tell you they recorded their records that way, but, but they, they're fibbing, you know. They're not usually made that way anymore, Um so that's one of the reasons that I can make them fast is because what you're hearing is live takes with maybe a handful of overdubs. Right. You know? So, yeah. And they, yeah. they have that sound to them too. And in, in, in a good way, I think, you know, I, I like when there's bleed on mics and, and you get that, um, it, it, it feels like you're hearing a band play, you know, that's a, that's a good sound. Oh yeah, man. Most of these artists nowadays, if they, if they walked into the studio that I'm recording that the first thing they do is go, where's all the gear, you know? <laughs> really, you know, but with with the folks that I've done records with and I've produced or co-produced pretty much everything I've done up to this last record where I've been working with Mark Neal, he is, I never trusted anybody with my sound like I do Mark, but we speak the same language and as a, you know, he's a producer, a musician producer, and I'm a touring artist about half the age, but we've we've come about the business and endured the business in the same way. And so we see, we see country music, we see American music, we, we, you know, we meet in the place that's the, the new record, Welcome to Hard, Hard Times, and it's all about, it's all about the 
performance. You know, it's all about the magic created in the performance of of of, of playing a song. Um, and you know, the the tricks really just lie in in having the having the having having the self educated understanding of 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 country music of blues of of rhythm and blues and combining that together to make the type of record that in my opinion is you know stands on its own um i mean i think i make several records so far that have that stand on their own in this era but but this particular one that i that i'm about to drop i think stands on its own and i think it says a lot about my journey which is stranger than fiction honestly um and i think mark neal i think his journey similar and so defi- we've defied the odds and got together two people are hard hard to find each other in the static of this business because you know everybody everybody's claiming to be somebody without evidence these days and uh the real folks have a hard time finding each other because of so much static yeah absolutely well, hey, man, I saw you on uh, Willie's Picnic on live stream uh, this last weekend, and uh, I was interested in how that production worked. W- were you all in the same location on different stages? Uh, how, how, did that, how did that whole thing go down? Yeah, so the live performances where you see the bands playing together and it's, it's like a live 30, 40-minute show or whatever, we, I think, were all on Willie's farm uh, out in Spicewood, and he has a look. And then the town that he's got built there, kind of the Wild West kind of movie set style town he's got, is called Luck. It's the town of Luck, which you can actually look up on the map. It'll on Google. It'll it'll bring you right to it, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, we were all there filming. They had like three or four locations around the farm that they was recording, and then they spaced everybody out throughout the day, so there was no overlap because of the COVID and whatever. And of course, there's no live audience. And then the the artists that you saw that were like collaborating, you know, the big art, you know, Willie and Cheryl Crow and Ziggy Marley and all those people. Um, I think all of that stuff was pre-recorded, and they were sending the stuff in from their remote locations. And there was like a house band uh, that was being that was like putting all of that remote the remote performances together, you know. Some of them were just entirely separate and, and, and mailed in. And then some of them, I think, they were combined with the studio band that was on the property, you know, and then they worked all that stuff out and then they re- and then they rebroadcast it, you know, similar to like a television show. You know, it's like you weren't actually watching the Johnny Cash show back in 1970 or whatever. It wasn't actually live, you know. It's in front of a live studio audience, but it's pre-taped and then they broadcast it. You know, that's that's essentially what they was, what they was doing, you know. So we played in uh the saloon stage and uh, ours was actually live so th- those performances on the farm were actually live streamed they were th- they were in real time so those were actually those were actually live broadcasts not live to tape actually live so that was pretty cool you know it was like it's weird to perform without an audience you know but when it's live or you know it's going to television or something like television it cre- there it creates an a, an electricity about the for- performance that is you know unique in in itself you know when you know it's broadcast uh it feel it, it it felt a lot like t- it felt a lot of like 
not like playing for television, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that when I was watching the, the different bands perform that, um, you, you, it, that must be a hard bridge to gap when there's no audience, you know, and you don't hear the applause afterwards. Um, I feel weird as a, as a person watching cause there's no, there's no clapping, you know, and it, it doesn't feel right, you know, when, and the whole thing's going down. So, um, but it, it works. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it is weird, but you, I've done so much of all of that. I've done a lot of, I've done everything, you know, I've done the street, where you're playing and being ignored. Uh, I've opened up for, you know, I've opened up for strange audiences and I've held the crowd's attention all night and I've done the television style live to tape and all the live stream in between. And, uh, you know, I can play, I can, I can play for the, I can play to the camera, you know, I don't mind doing that, you know, I think if you get up to a level of where you are like performing on networks, doing late night television programs and all of that type of stuff, you've got to be at a place where you can perform at a top level under, under, uh, uncomfortable circumstances where there's only a crew. And let me tell you, a lot of times these audio visual crews can be the, uh, you know, it's like playing to people and I don't know, I'd probably rather play to people in coffins sometimes, you know, <laughs> they're just, they're just so disinterested, but that's because they're, they're focused on, on their job, which is, which isn't about applauding for you. You know, it's about making sure that everything is working so that you, so that you, you know, sound good. Right. So, yeah, I hear you. Well, you got some new music out, a couple of songs that have been released. And uh, the f- first one I wanted to chat about was is Run Horse Run. It has a, a, a kind of a Ghost Riders in the Sky vibe to it. Very Western, mystical kind of thing. And I was wondering if you could talk about that song a little bit. You ain't got time to tell me how you feel. By this time tomorrow I'll be out in Bakersfield. Just like that horse steady running down the track, you know I won't be coming back. You know, we really put the that psychedelic spaghetti western thing really really put that on there. And I I you know, it's a it's an interesting song because I got a lot of folks that I think have really liked it because I think it's a unique sound. And then I see I see country folks that you know, are maybe offended by it in a way that maybe bothers them the way that maybe like Old Town Road did or something. I don't know. You know, there's there's always people that, you know, when you're doing something different, you know, have an issue with it. So I have some people that say, oh, the instrumentation's amazing, but I hate your voice. And then I have other people say, oh, your voice is immaculate, but I can't stand the song, you know, or whatever. And I think anytime you're doing something that's really different or Really, my goal here was, you know, to, you know, to really show the high art of 60s country music, which has a near and dear place in, in my soul. You know, that's when I think it was truly great. Not the outlaw era. era. The outlaw era was when they figured out how to commercialize it and more homogenize it towards the mainstream, which unfortunately set it on its course to where it is today. Now, the 60s didn't do that the sixties, it was a high art form. Um, you know what I mean? It wasn't, uh, look, I love Willie Nelson, but whiskey river, you know, take my mind. That's not what I respect him for. I respect him for all of the amazing songs that he wrote 
in the 60s, 70s, too. I'm just saying, you know, Johnny Paycheck singing, take this job and shove it, that don't mean nothing to me. What means something to me is what he did as a honky-tonk singer in the 60s under the uh, pseudonym Don Young. You know, and when he was sing, playing bass in George Jones' band, that's when he was great. And you don't have John Paycheck or Willie Nelson in the 70s without the starving artists at the top of their game that they was in the 50s and 60s. Um, and for that reason, I would argue that you don't find artists playing dark 60s country music in a way that can translate over to a mainstream audience today you have people playing basically a watered down version of 70s country outlaw and rock and roll um and these people often claim to be the second coming of of their heroes without putting in work and so maybe what i'm doing that's harkening back to 60s part of the reason that i think it's so polarizing is i think that so many people that are used to listening to what's in the mainstream today or are just too young or just not unaware really of i mean these people will sit here and tell you they love waylon jennings all day but they don't know anything that he did in the 60s you know they don't they they really don't you know and a lot of these folks you know people know who marty robbins is but they're not really listening to that music same thing with loretta lynn you know how many of these people are really listening to coal miner's daughter you know it's it's just i think when you do something like what i'm doing which is bringing that sound from that classic era back to today and translating it through my modern experience it's you know it's going to be jarring to folks and so run horse run I, i'm glad that you asked about that song because i think that that's maybe the best example of the way that i am doing that i think that some people are bothered by what may sound like r&b and hip-hop sensibilities and like the way that I can sing over it, you know, but at the same time, it also sounds like something you'd hear out of an Ennio Morricone spaghetti Western mixed with, uh, you know, a Roger Miller in the early sixties, or, or like I said, Marty Robin, uh, gunfighter ballads, you know? So, um, and the whole record's like that. The whole record is, the whole record's full of me doing that, you know? And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know the way that people are going to, I don't know what it's going to do when it comes out. You know, we'll just have to see. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the R&B thing because you're talking about Marty Robbins. I love those gunfighter ballads. Those are those are amazing. But then there's also a song he has that that's, um, that sounds like a R&B kind of almost Motown-ish kind of song, I Walk Alone. And um, it's an interesting tune oh, yeah. because it's like, it, it, it's outside of his, what most people, the box people would put him in, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate when artists do that, you know, cause you're, 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 you're experimenting and you're, you're trying new sounds and whatnot. I think that's important for people to do. Well, do you ever hear, I can't remember the name of that, what that, of that record, but he did a whole record of jazz standards. Mark Neal, uh, that I made welcome to hard times with, he played me all kinds of albums. He was listening to everything from Bill Withers and hair devil to like deep cuts and George Jones and short head really in the sixties and all that stuff. And, uh, he showed me a Marty Robbins record that was like, it was jazz crooner stuff, you know? And uh, honestly, I never really heard Marty Robbins voice. He didn't sound that country to me. He sounded like something else to me. He reminded me more of somebody that could sing like pop standards, 
You know, he had a di- he had a very different voice. Like he, in my mind, coming from deep South Texas, being raised in South Texas and Dallas area and New Orleans, growing up in Louisiana and stuff, like he didn't sound like a Southerner to me to me at all. You know, I I, I never I never saw him that way. But the the way he painted a picture of the West through them gunfighter ballads is just is you know one of a kind. You know and. And nobody could argue with the way he was singing, and then like the storytelling, the storytelling that he conveyed, the darkness and the beauty of his voice, you know, really made him stand apart. But what I'm saying is, is like you're mentioning that R&B stuff, and I'm talking about these jazz standards, you know, it's like country music is marketed, like folks market it as narrow. You know, the artists doing it are rarely the narrow folks that they're painted to be. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, I I think that's the thing with genre sometimes is that genres are useful for mar- people who are into marketing, and it's, it's rarely yeah. useful for musicians, you know? I, I think musicians generally want to be artists, and they want to explore sounds, and they want to do things that are different and interesting and keep themselves... Uh, vibrant and um, I, I think genre puts people in boxes and creates arguments over something that that really it's a, just a useless conversation most of the time you know that's just the way that people work is we want to simplify stuff to help us easily categorize and understand it you know uh, it it's just the way we think as people in a lot of ways and it, and the problems that we face the challenges with genre classification and all that. Uh, it's not much different than it was before, you know, with like hillbilly records versus what they called race records. Um, you know, and that, that was before that, you know, it was, it was, they didn't know how to classify and then they tried to classify that stuff. And then they did it with, you know, R and B charts the country charts. I mean, you look at singers like George Jones and Loretta Lynn, those two singers never crossed over. I don't believe either one of them ever had ever crossed into the pop charts. Maybe George Jones did at one point, but basically he didn't. I don't believe Loretta Lynn ever crossed over off the country charts. Whereas, you know, Dolly Parton, she, she crossed over into pop really kind of the whole time she went back and forth. And that can be, that can be really challenging. It's like what we have going, there's a, you know, the way that they deal with like Americana music charts and stuff today, you know, I mean, I don't know. Those charts don't mean anything to me, you know, uh, they really, they really don't. And, but I've done this too, where I've gone back to like the sixties and I'll just go through the charts like week by week and listen to the like top, all the number ones every week. You'd be amazed how many of those number ones you listen to that nobody that, that I, you've never heard. You know, the the top of the album charts week by week be full of a bunch of songs that like nobody's listening to. You know, and then you'd hear some that were that that did become, you know, enduring hits. But what I was surprised by, because I'm just riding around the country, not right now, but you know, for my whole adult my whole adult life, I've just been rambling, and now I'm on a tour bus and stuff and you know, going from town to town, 
and just out of, just to keep myself occupied a lot of times, I just thumb through those 50s and 60s charts. You, it's the same. I mean, and it doesn't matter when you talk about country. You do the same thing. You go back to the blues charts, look at the stuff in the 30s and the 40s and all the stuff. Then there's all these people topping the charts, a bunch of songs you can give a damn about. Um, it, a lot of times it doesn't have a lot to do with who we're talking about now from those eras based on necessarily what the gatekeepers or, you know, what the, whatever the, the, the folks at the magic wands are talking about in a moment, you know, time has a way of time has a way of bringing important stuff to the surface sometimes that maybe didn't even register in its day. Uh, and I think Americana charts right now and in, in, in the charts in general can, you know, be like that, you know, and, it's a tough place where I'm at for sure, because I think I'm doing something very different than most of the people around me, you know, and then all in there, you know, I get, you know, you get categorized as a, you know, they've called me a traditionalist and a neo-traditionalist, preservationist, uh, throwback, stylist, 60s country singer, and the list of, you know, dismissive, you know, uh, categorizations, they, they're endless, my man, you know? Um, and I say this all the time and it gets taken out of context and different people will quote stuff out of context for me and use them for their own agendas, which I usually don't even agree with, but it's like the issue with what we, you have going on with genre classification is the people it, it, it's, it's just not really, it doesn't really reflect what Americans are trying to hear. It has to do with all the gatekeepers and the DJs and the companies and all the people in the end circles messing with each other. And that's their little world. And you can run down through these charts and look at a lot of these kind of people. And you'd be surprised how many people are sitting at the top of these charts that it's not that they're not making good music. It's just that it doesn't, it's not really reaching that many people. So, the chart rankings have more to do with, you know, uh, social circles than it really does have to do with, you know, a, re a response from the American public, you know, because there's a huge gap between this so-called Americana wor world, which was a term I've never even heard of till I got off the street and started, you know, maybe 2015, I think was the first time I'd ever heard of it. You know, before that, I'd only thought of it as a uh, breed of chicken, man. You know, uh, really, you know, <laughs> you know, and then it's a marketing term, you know, and then they got all these other, you know, that whole neo-traditionalist thing, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But it's like you go play pop country music festivals and uh, it feels like an abandoned city in the back of those festivals when you go play them, man. And like you can't even tell who's a dang music artist back there because they're just dressed like, you know a random dude that just stepped out of the gym or something, you know, uh, it's a strange, it's a strange world, man. The, the vacuum between these, this like kind of corporate country music, ivory tower. And then way down here is the Americana world, you know, way down below the clouds. And then there's just a whole ridiculous hierarchy, uh, that you got to fight through to deal with that thing that doesn't have anything to do with the everyday people. And, 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 and what they've got going on in their lives. And I'm not, I, I would venture to guess it's 
it's always been the same. The, the, the difference is today, like I'm saying, because of social media, because everybody's got an Instagram, everybody has a way of having like a platform that they can build themselves and with a lot of ambition and some photographs, anybody can call themselves anything they want, you know? So you got people left and right trying to brand themselves as, you know, the second coming of, you know, whatever, the greatest producer of, you know, it's the, you know, somebody call themselves the next Owen Bradley or the next Don Law, you know, and they don't have a, they don't have a record or an artist that's ever even sold a 20th amount of records of, you know, a Don Law record that was in the mid, you know, the middle of his, you know, success in his career. But, you know, you hire a journalist, I'm sorry, you hire a publicist. Maybe there's no difference depending on who you're dealing with. And, uh, you tell them that who you are, you tell them that you are the second coming, uh, whoever your hero is, you don't need any evidence. You just need money and a look, you know, and I'm, people can do that. I'm not saying people shouldn't do that. People, anybody wants to get out there and try their hand, man, it's America. And you know, it, it's a free enough country that if you want to gamble, even if you're at a disadvantage, you can do that. You know, as soon as you can't gamble anymore, well then you really have a problem. But what I'm saying is, is that there's more people doing that and creating static and getting in the way of talent than you've ever seen before. And I'm not saying let's go back to the old days. I'm just saying like, yeah, that'd be really, really, really good to get through those doors, you know, 50 years ago. Nowadays, nowadays you can, all you got to do is be ambitious. Unfortunately, is how I feel. Well, another song that's out right now is called Welcome to Hard Times. Love that song. And uh, the, the, the lyrics in it, um, especially in the second verse, really stood out to me uh, where you say, look into my eyes. I, I wonder, would you notice, would you even care if my life just wasn't there? And um, it's just a, a heavy, heavy line and, um, um, and, and very um, uh, 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 just something that people can resonate with. And uh, I was wondering if you could talk about that song a little bit because that one stood I out. I wonder if you'll notice would you even care if I told you my life just isn't fair? Welcome to. Well, do you know where I envisioned that I was standing when I wrote that lyric? Outside of the casinos in Reno. There's a type of down and out emotion to that casino world that it's in Vegas, it's in Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, and I know about all those places, but, but there's a striking type of kind of down and out casino thing that you see out there in, in the West and in, in some of the smaller cities or even like a, a bigger gambling town like Reno that um, I feel like I mostly exist in, in terms of as, as, as being a song and as a song and dance man or an entertainer of sorts. I've I've been I spent most of my adult life around that, you know, and uh, that's me. Well, that's probably why it stood out to me so much. You know, I spent I, I used to just sit in bingo halls in New Orleans and play the play the cards for my uncle, and I used to sit in the casinos like play the slots and I'd play the keno machines and I'd be there in the middle of the night and stuff. I never even I never disliked it. I liked all that activity. I like there's a as sad as it can be, you know. I've I've, I've also played a ton of casinos on the reservations you know that can be a sad place but i like the activity i like all the sounds going off and there is a there is an energy that that says america to me that you know 
uh, you know, it might not be the good life, but it's my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, that you're, you're totally right about that. Um, that vibe, that look in the eyes when the, that down and out look, there's, it, it's, it's a pretty unique thing to the casino life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a weird deal. I do love it, man. Uh, Actually, I wrote a lot of the, I wrote some of the words coming from the ideas, you know, a lot of it's casino related. I mean, cause I mean, to understand that America, all you have to do is understand a casino, you know, like it's so obvious, you know, it's so obvious. I mean, the man in the white house ran casinos, you know, um, it's a casino country, you know, so there's, and there's only two ways of dealing with the casino both of them require require you being in the casino you know it's like you know you either you either realize you're in the casino and that it's house rules or you don't but you're still playing you know that's just how it works you know if it didn't you wouldn't you know you wouldn't uh you wouldn't be born with a number and a name huh i thought about it like that house rules you're you're you either know you're playing by them, but either way, you know, you're, you're playing by the house rules. That's, that's, that's for sure. Well, you know, I'm glad we talked so much about Nevada and, um, because you have such a Western, um, sound and, um, in that new field recordings album, um, that you do a song called diamond Joe, which is an old cowboy tune. And, um, I'm just interested in, in how you got to that one. Diamond Joe. I learned it. That's an old cowboy song. I learned it from a rambling Jack version of it. And, uh, it struck me as maybe one of the clearest examples of class struggle um, simplified down to a, you know, cattle baron and a cowpoke. I don't know how much, I don't think it's changed much. I just love it too. I love, uh, I love the image of Diamond Joe that he's carrying around a, you know, diamond studded jar and, you know, he doesn't he never paid no attention to the letter of the law you know he's given the he's given that cow hen you know horses you know so weak they they ain't worth nothing you know and uh he's spending his whole life trying to get away from him but he you know he can't he can't find no other work and uh it's just it's a good song and i love the ironic humor in it in the end you know when he's like hey when it's my time to go Give all, give my blankets, you know, give everything that's worth something. Give it to my buddies that I work alongside, you know, and give the fleas to that dang tyrant, you know. And it's true, and everybody agrees, <laughs> you know. Everybody's fighting, everybody's fighting a great battle, man, you know. Everybody, that's one thing I've learned traveling. Everybody that you meet is fighting a great battle. Even that rich man that might be dominating you, in his mind, he's fighting a great battle. He's fighting the other rich folks, you know. He's fighting to, not to pay his taxes. He's fighting uh, his competitors, you know. He's fighting his own ego. He's fighting his desire to attain more wealth and have a healthy relationship, you know. And the poor folks, you know, are fighting the greatest battles, you know, just trying to put food on the table, you know? And so the politics that's flying by on the television screen and on the, on the iPhone screen, man, that stuff's secondary because you're just trying to stay above water. 
you know. And you know, to do what I do for a living is to be is to see that, you know. And when people that doing what I do don't see that, well, then I don't think too much of them. That's a good perspective. Do you have you gone to um, speaking of Nevada? Have you ever been to the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering out in Elko? I haven't. Uh, my buddy Colter Wall's been out there, and I'd, I've heard of it, and I've heard more and more mention of it. It's something that I'd, it's something that I'd really like to participate in. Uh, one of these days, I, I, I keep hearing uh, more and more about it. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's an incredible thing, man. Um, uh, Coulter was in 2019. He was kind of the headliner, one of them, and then uh, this last year, Dom Flemons uh, was doing his Black Cowboys thing out there, and um, it's. It is one of the coolest things I've been to. It, it kind of blew. I, I grew up here, you know, in Nevada, and I, I never went because it's in February. You got to drive across Nevada in the winter, and um, and so I never went. But um, uh, for the radio station, whatnot, I went out two years ago, and I was like bummed that I'd never been before. It's it's incredible. The music's great. The the poetry's fantastic. There's artwork. I mean, it's it's re- if you like the West, you you would love that thing. Yeah, I loved. I really love to go, man, and. And Don Flemings, he's fantastic. Colt is one of the very best doing it in the world today. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, well, I want to do it, man. Maybe I can meet you out there sometime. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I want to do <laughs> I'll buy it. You, and, uh, I'll buy you a pecan at the um, at the star. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to it. Don't don't think. Don't you think I'm gonna forget now? <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, everything's shut down now and, and it's all weird with no shows happening and everything, but, um, uh, you seem to, to stay pretty busy. What, uh, what projects, uh, do you got coming up this year? Well, like you say, you know, I'm rolling out the record here on July 31st and, uh, there's 13 songs on that record. So I'm going to, I'm going to work them really hard because I like all 13 of them. I mean, I know everybody that puts stuff out likes all their material, but I think I could, I think I could randomly push any of them as singles, you know, in the world that I'm in and, you know, they'd all hold their own. And so it's ambitious, but I'd like to make videos for all 13 of them. Um, and so that's something I'm going to do a lot of work on throughout the summer and into the fall is continuing to roll out the songs and, and create visuals for them, for the folks that's paying attention to me and maybe some new ones that I pick up here and there. Uh, and then of course I'm writing all the time. You know, and I'll probably be sneaking a follow-up record into it, getting that all laid out. You know, everybody else is sleeping. I'll probably, I'll probably cut another one in the middle of the night and get ready to line it up behind it. Um, I'd like to spend some more time out in the mountains, the Four Corners, Mountain West. I got plans to get up to Montana sometime in the next month. Um. You know, beyond that, you know that's that's where I'm at because I don't know when we're I don't know when we're I don't know when I'm getting back on the bus. You know, I don't know we when when we get back to playing these you know these crowds. I can't wait for it, man. I miss live music so much. It's like a piece of my soul is missing right now. And I think we all feel like that. You know, I did a thing for a local Austin paper that I was doing this morning, and it was asking me about you know. Our, you know, the town of Austin, you know, we're the live cap- music capital of the world. And what that has done to our identity to not have live music. And I just thought about my own 
experience. And, you know, the reason I live in this town is for the live music, is for the country music and blues and soul and the jazz and the singer-songwriter circles and all the other funky kinds of music, the cultural heritage that you can find displayed of Tejano music and Cajun and Creole music and all this stuff that exists here in Austin. That's why I'm here. You know, there, there's honky tonk singers that I can go see on a Wednesday night that sing as good as I'm, as I'm, as far as I'm concerned as anybody in the world, you know, and uh, to not be able to go out and do that, you know, it, it is trying to say the least, man. It is talk about testing your, mental spirit and you know your your uh threshold for you know paranoia and just being restlessness you know it's i know the way i'm feeling is how this country's feeling you know i know it's how single mamas that you know count on tips are feeling you know it's how i you know men working out in oil fields and on ranches are feeling because everything slowed down you know Everything slowed down and everybody's feeling it. And so at the same time, it's kind of like the, during the depression, you know, the, the economy dropped down, which is something that we're dealing with here, you know, and we're really dealing with something like that. But the need, like, I think I saw something strange where it was like streaming of like, like music streaming went down initially, but then like the amount that people are, I can't remember exactly how this is. It's like there's a contraction in the music sales, but the overall amount of time that individuals are spending listening to music is way higher than it was. You know, so that would tell you that people, people flee to the um, solace of music in hard times, you know, to art, you know, that's something, that ain't nothing new, man. That, that's a, that's a phenomenon of the oldest time. Cool, man. Well, that's all the uh, questions I had for you. I enjoyed it, man. Yeah, that was a great conversation. I spend you. I appreciate you spending so much time telling me all those stories. Well, I don't mind. It's not like I'm. I see it's six fifty here in Central Time. You know, usually I'd be, you know, about two hours out from getting on stage, but right now I'm like two hours from going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing. I don't got nothing to do. My lady wants to run around town, right? Ain't nobody in it, but we're gonna run around in either way. And I don't like getting out of my out of my truck till after seven anyway, because it's so dang hot. I ain't got no AC. Well, I do, but it only works when you're doing thirty miles, thirty-five miles an hour. You hear me? So, <laughs> Roll down that window. Anyway, I guess it's about cool enough for us to get out, and take right. my lady around town. And Will, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, I plan on seeing you in Elko if we don't talk before that. Absolutely. Or we'll hang out at a casino. We can do that again. You know, we can sit and watch the, the horse races on the screen or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and if you ever come through Carson, uh, let me know. I'd, I'd love to buy you a beer, man. Yeah, yeah, I probably will, actually. I'll probably i be out there sometime this summer. I know I will be. My best, dude. Cool, man. All right, well, have a good evening. You too, my brother. Well, you will be before you go. We got lots of gambling Oh, and we're telling lies You're certainly welcome to hard times
yes. Hope you're feeling welcome to hard times. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Just a quick reminder to follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to this. Leave a rating and tell a friend. Also, big thanks to Charlie Marks for providing the music for the show. Until next time, everybody. Have a good one.